It is December 17th, 1994, and Bang and Blame by R.E.M. is number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart. Hello, and welcome to Tell Me All Your Thoughts on Pod. I am Quillen. I'm Trav. I'm Al. And this is a podcast where we talk about every song that reached number one on the Billboard Modern Rock chart in the 90s, beginning with Kurt Cobain's death in April 1994. Today we'll be talking about Bang and Blame, the second single from R.E.M.'s ninth album, Monster. Bang and Blame spent three weeks at the top of the Modern Rock chart. Let's hear a clip. What do you guys think of the song? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it's great. Nope. <sighs> I'm just going to watch. <laughs> this yeah, is an I mean, It's what? It's a, it's a <laughs> what did you say? It's an R.E.M. song. <laughs> Jeez. Jeez. Yeah. What? I mean, it's great. It. Get the delay guitar, the the whole like uh, the bass line's really cool. The vibe of it is is really. Uh, um, it, it's not. I would say it's not something they've done before, but it's kind of similar to "I Don't Sleep I Dream," um, which happened earlier on the album. Oh, get out of here! You don't think they're similar? No, really. When I sleep, I dream is like <laughs> one thousand times better. It's not the type. a thousand times better i mean it's they're both sort of like these a minor dirges yeah um you don't see any similarity between the two uh no just minor minor key is it i guess Hmm. yeah no what do you what do you not like about it about being in blame yeah uh i don't care for the sound of the song. <laughs> I mean, I guess I, I see it as a single, sure, but I I know you guys, and I know you, Trev, and I know yeah. that you love REM, yeah. and I also love REM, but as I've stated, I think I stated in our episode on uh, What's the Frequency, Kenneth, I am uh, mainly an REM uh, of the 80s uh, fan. And uh, 90s R.E.M. to me is generally corny. And uh, um, uh, and, and I, was, I was very pleasantly surprised to find that there are non-singles on Monster that I thought were awesome. Um, but, yeah, I just, I just don't like the song, man. I just uh, I don't really like any element of it at all. Let me try to bridge the gap, and then we can hear Travis's uh, enthusiastic defense of this yeah, song. Yeah, let's do it. Um, guitar effects are such a big part of this album. 
And I know, Trev, you shared a version of this that is sans a lot of the guitar effects, so I'm curious to talk about that. But Plus an I, organ line that is really corny and bad. Oh. <laughs> I, I like the general melancholy tone of this song. I like the melody. I think that um, it achieves a sort of repetitive, meditative feel that I appreciate. Um. Unlike What's the Frequency, Kenneth, it is definitely not hook after hook. I do feel like it gets a little bit repetitive. I wouldn't mind if the ideas in the song came and went a little bit faster. Um, I feel like with a lot of pop songs of this era, particularly if we're working in a relatively straightforward mold, my question is always, how good is the bridge? And the bridge in this song is, is pretty perfunctory. It's instrumental, it's two chords, and it kind of just provides a little bit of variety before I be getting back to the verse. Um, so altogether, I do feel like the song is a little bit monotonous, and I feel like that is simultaneously the song's biggest strength and the song's biggest weakness. Thank you. <laughs> I, I I spent so much time talking. Um, I, I felt like I spent a lot of time talking about Monster during the what's the frequency Kenneth episode that I, I don't, want uh, to do you it did. Again. I did. <laughs> I don't want to like, yeah, I love REM. Sue me. What it like, I, I, I guess I could go to bat for it, but like, I, I want yeah, to hear what you guys can, have to can, say about can, it this time around. I, I actually want you to Travsplain monster to us <laughs> again. <laughs> Let me check my notes here. Uh, <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's great. I, I, I don't, I don't know you guys. <laughs> okay. Let's, let's, <laughs> let's, let's talk about a closely related thing. Um, it only occurred to me in episode 11. I often, um, uh, you know, we occasionally make mention of our roles as musicians, but, um, as, as a songwriter, no pressure to ever check out anything that I've ever done. But, um, I am very preoccupied with song lengths. Mm -hmm. I feel like I, I I am inclined to look at what length a song I have written is. And, you know, there are certain metrics. Like, I feel like if, if a song is over four minutes, you better have a, a, you better have an answer ready for why it is longer than four minutes. So I thought it would be a good time to kind of look back at everything we've talked about and talk about song lengths. This song on the album is five minutes and 30 seconds long. Um, there is real a quick, single. Real quick. Yes. Do you want to know the best part of that? Yes. Go ahead. Segment of time. <laughs> the ending that's like completely unrelated to the, the 30 seconds of uh, yes. rocking out. That is. Yeah. The so the, the single edit cuts that out and the single edit is four minutes, 51 seconds, which is still really long for a radio single. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, would you like to guess our longest and shortest songs so far? I yes, would. Travis is raising his hand. So I far. think if I had to guess, I think they're um, consecutive, right? Is this true? The the longest is followed by the shortest song hmm. on our list? Uh, go ahead. My, my guess is uh, the longest would be Champagne Supernova. Uh, I, to the best of my understanding, that is true. Oh, I and thought the, we were talking about 
that we've covered so far. Oh, I thought it I've was got the entire notes on both. span of, of what we've done. Definitely Champagne Supernova. Well, okay, Trav, what do you think is the shortest song that we'll discuss this entire time? Salvation by the Cranberries. You're you're very close. Um, okay, so, so far from what we've discussed, Basket Case is the shortest song we've talked about. It's uh, three minutes and one second long, which I think is a great length for a song. Um zombie is the longest song we've oh. talked about so far and it, it revealed some issues actually with our spotify playlist i don't know entirely about our apple music playlist but zombie on the album is five minutes and six seconds long the the radio edit is three minutes and 52 seconds long mm. but i realized when looking into this that um spotify doesn't contain radio edits of mm. really any of the songs we're talking about for example, Trav, you were right on the money with Champagne Supernova. The album version is 7 minutes and 28 seconds long. <laughs> Wikipedia says that there's a 5-minute, 8-second radio edit, but that is not available on Spotify, nor is the radio edit of Zombie, and quite a few other songs I could not find the radio edits. So it occurred to me that um, with our entire podcast, we're not necessarily listening to the versions of these songs that 90s radio listeners would hear, except, I think, when we're watching the music videos. Mm -hmm. Which is a little bit troublesome. Um, short songs, there's no problem. Uh, the number one shortest song we'll be discussing is Lump by the President of the United States of America. Mm. Two minutes and 14 seconds. I thought Salvation was two minutes exactly. It is quick. Uh, let me take a brief look, but I know that I looked at that. Hold, hold on one second. First, I want to ask, Lump by the Presidents of the United States of America was a number one hit? It Modern was. Rock? That's you, be you better believe it. Okay, Trav, go. Sorry. The interlude. Um, you said it was the best part of the song? The, en the ending, the... the yeah. You know, the tag tag yeah. along sort mm -hmm. of thing. Um, one, did it remind you of the end of Shaking Through from Murmur? And is it better mm. than that uh, tag tag on? No, and I don't know. Oh, okay. My <laughs> I expected you to be to be ready with that. I thought mm. that would be something that... Uh... <laughs> I didn't really uh, think too hardly about this song. Right. Salvation by the Cranberries is two minutes and 24 seconds long. Ah, too long. Sorry, sorry, Trev. I'm sorry that I didn't. Yeah, I, uh, I, the, that like tag on ending to me, uh, I mean, it's been at this point, probably like a week and a half since I've listened to the song. Um, I, I don't know. It, it just sounded cool and meandering and like, uh, arty. Um, yeah, I really like it too. I think I mean I I think it's really cool. Yeah, it's a cool. I don't think it's the best part. But it's cool. <laughs> well, I mean, when you hate, can hate the song, pretty much. Uh, <laughs> I mean, it's not hard to. <laughs> All right, the next truth comes out. You piece of shit. Next. Um, <laughs> any thoughts on the lyrics of this song? Yeah. I, <laughs> I found something really interesting on songmeetings.com. Uh, it was basically a comment. Um, actually, <laughs> so I don't know. Al, how do you want to approach this? This was a, okay, a fun well, thing we had today. Um, 
there's a little bit of a story behind this. I looked on songmeanings.com and user Dazzer O had the top rated comment on the, the meaning of this song. This person said that this song is about a closeted relationship between River Phoenix and Michael Stipe, a romantic relationship. So I decided to look around. I didn't just want to spread that idea around, much like, you know, no one wants to spread around that you should ingest uh, Clorox or whatever <laughs> uh, is circulating around the internet right now. I found a, a profile on River's Phoenix, River Phoenix, sorry, not, uh, <laughs> there's Rivers Cuomo and River Phoenix. Rivers Phoenix. <laughs> and there's a profile on River Phoenix in The Guardian where there's a quote from Michael Stipe. He says, we met through my sister. She'd moved to Florida and became familiar with the whole family. I would visit her and hang out with them. And I have two sisters who I love very much, but River was like my little brother. We're exactly 10 years apart, and he really did feel like a brother to me. So there's nothing about Phoenix's sexuality. I found another profile in Vanity Fair, nothing about a sexual relationship. I did a Google search for River Phoenix bisexual, and that resulted only in links that were kind of trashy that I did not want to click on. So... Uh, I did the thing that a responsible citizen should do, and I created... A thoughts on pod songmeanings.com account. <laughs> and I logged on and I expressed on the internet that I was unable to corroborate Dazero's account and I downvoted it. Um, so I did my civic duty and I didn't tell anyone involved in this podcast. And then, Trav, you stumbled upon it. I did. I did. And I was like, wow, this Dazero really is on to something. And then I found this buzzkill comment underneath it. <laughs> I was like, God, who wrote this? Thoughts on pod four days ago. What that's right. Is we're this? getting involved. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, I guess that's that's fair. And I, I don't want to make this like a salacious thing where it's like, you know, a tabloid kind of thing. But the way this guy, this person laid out his understanding of the lyrics was so interesting and it just it everything clicked into place whether it's river phoenix or a different like person who's maybe not comfortable with where they're at um and didn't want to like publicly come out or something like that um the the lyrics just line up so well there's lines like uh you've got a little worry i know it all too well uh, the whole world hinges on your swings, your secret life of indiscreet discretion. And Those this is all like, premised on the right. interpretation that River Phoenix was secretly bisexual. Right. <laughs> and also, I, I read that uh, Ebo the Letter is about River Phoenix. I, I have read that as well. I don't know. Check out check out Dazero. Shout out to Dazero. Hey man, did you even upvote my comment on uh, songmeanings.com? No, pass. And <laughs> but actually, like there there were like some things uh, that he had posted that were like pretty off base and kind of ignorant too. So I'm not like totally endorsing what he said, but like if you you look at the the whole of or what they said, the whole of what was posted and kind of lining up with the lyrics, it really was 
enlightening for me as somebody who's, who's heard the song for a long time and never really known what it was exactly about. And it just seemed to kind of put things in place. Jet fuel can't melt steel. <laughs> <laughs> a bang and blame truth there. Yep. Everything, everything lines up too perfectly. <laughs> Uh, this is featured in uh. Weird Al. <laughs> Quillen's on a roll. Um, this song is featured in Weird Al's Alternative Polka. He goes through uh, Loser, Sex Type Thing by STP, All I Want to Do by Sheryl Crow, Closer by Nine Inch Nails, Bang and Blame by R.E.M., Ought to Know by Atlantis Born Set, Bullet with Butterfly Wings by Smashing Pumpkins. My Friends by Red Hot Chili Peppers. I'll Stick Around by Foo Fighters. Black Hole Sun by Soundgarden. And finally, Basket Case by Green Day. And it's it's pretty clever, musically. Cool. He's doing our whole damn podcast for us. This is just like a medley, one of his medleys? It's a medley, yeah, and it's mostly, mostly accordion-based. The album contains parodies of three songs we'll be covering. There's the song Cavity Search, which is a parody of Hold Me, Thrill Me, Kiss Me, Kill Me by U2. It's something like uh, something, it's about like the dentist, going Mm. to the dentist, something drill me. uh, (laughs) Brush me. I'm sold. uh, Brush me, drill me, spit me. (laughs) Yep. Uh, Something like that. Uh, There is the the classic uh, Gump, which of course is a, a parody of Lump. And Syndicated Ink, which is a parody of Misery by Soul Asylum. Doing the Lord's work. (laughs) This is R.E.M.'s final modern rock number one, and it's their final top 40 pop chart appearance. shouldn't have even been either of those things. Oh, Lord. Since this is our last R.E.M. episode already... Any thoughts on or reflections on on REM's status in the '90s? I loved. I mean, yeah, like you said, there should be three or four more songs after this. I can think of two from New Adventures. Uh, I hate Up, which is crazy. I hate the oh, album. Really? Up. You're, you're not a fan no, of Day Sleeper? Just everything on that album just turns okay. me off. And I, I like not. I don't hate it relative to REM's like work. I hate it. I hate it. Um, <clears throat> is that the last no, four piece album? No, it's their first three piece album, and they blame it. They sort it's of the, blame okay. that it. Like Bill Berry would just be like, "All right, let's you know, cut out the uh, the excess here." He would always be kind of like the editor, and with him being gone. Um, they didn't have someone to do that. So there's all these four or five minute songs that are just like, they go on forever and they never really like nothing's happening. Lotus is so bad. That is one of my least favorite songs. And it is from one of my favorite bands. Um, Reveal is wonderful. I I really like Reveal a lot. Um, Accelerate or no, I'm sorry. Around the Sun is... Um, I haven't listened to it. <laughs> it's it's my favorite band. I've never listened to that album. Um, I'm saving it for a rainy day. Accelerate is fine. 
uh, Collapse Into Now is very good. Yeah, I, I, I will just reiterate what we've said for the last couple episodes, which is I think that R.E.M. has as big a claim to shaping the 90s alternative radio sound as Nirvana does, at least. They're a really profoundly influential band. That I can agree with. Do you think, Quillen, is there anything that happens after Bang and Blame that deserves to be, you know, high up on the charts or anything? Yeah, I, nothing really. I mean, I, I want to say that Monster was the last album that really had anything that stuck out to me. Um, uh, I I don't think I have the negative connotation about Up um, that you do, Travis. But, uh, yeah, I... 90s R.E.M. is kind of whatever for me. Sorry. Sorry to be a buzzkill here. Uh, I think Trav and I will defend 90s R.E.M. a little bit later. Uh, Any thoughts about the music video? I kind of liked the music video, actually. Yeah, it's cool. What was so Uh, good about it? (laughs) I'll tell you. (laughs) (laughs) Well, just the, the, the footage of Bill Berry playing the drum beat during the verses, which is so funny to me because it's just kick drum and uh, not even floor tom, rack tom, mm. uh, which is a tom that I I am a drummer. Uh, it is a tom that I hate to hit. <laughs> and it's necessary for my, my style of drumming. I've tried to cut it out um, in... Uh, bands in years past and i'm just the type of drummer that i i do need that tom but like i hate hitting it consistently in any and i avoid it as much as i can and so according to the music video the drum beat of the verse is just kick drum and rack tom and it's hilarious watching the footage of him like relatively enthusiastically playing that beat, which is does he have two rack toms or just one? No, just one. Thank God. Okay. Thank God, only one. <laughs> is he wearing um, overalls too? I don't. In the video, I don't remember what he's wearing. He looked interesting. I guess I certainly noticed that Mike Mills is once again wearing a oh, nudie suit. Oh, he sure is. Yeah, he sure is. Um, one of like the uh, flavors of kombucha that I pick up sometimes from GTs is called <laughs> Bilberry Blessing. Oh, and I think of Bilberry every time I get nice. it. Shout out to GTs if you want to sponsor us. We'll uh, <laughs> we'll take it. Yeah, let's get a kombucha kombucha <laughs> sponsorship. Uh, um. Yeah, it's a it's a cool video. It's it's filmed in a stylish way. Mm-hmm. It's somewhat mm-hmm. sort of perfunctory, but there's at least a compelling visual kind of gimmick, which is that the screen is divided into thirds, mm-hmm. and we just see these little bars of of thirds. So one of the better music videos that we've talked about so far. Agreed. Yeah. Honestly, I'm not sure that we've seen a great music video so far. Definitely but. not. This is I would say this is the best video we've seen so far. Yeah. Yeah, REM's done well so far with the music videos because I I do like the What's the Frequency kind Mm -hmm. of video. Mm -hmm.
Okay, so um, normally at this point we would talk about albums. We have already talked about Monster, so we made a decision that we would forgo talking about Monster again, <laughs> and instead we'd talk about REM's career as a whole. And so uh, what we have prepared <laughs> is for each of us our five top REM songs. So I'm fascinated. Um, Me too. Who wants who wants to start at number five, and we'll go around. I can start. Great. By the way, I have I have four guesses for each of you. I think I I'm guessing four. I'll let you know if I'm right after about the four. You yeah, sure afterwards. you don't want to read your guesses first? <clears throat> no, I, would, I think I would rather hear the guesses after the fact. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, okay. So I'm gonna start with an honorable mention. Uh, which is Welcome to the Occupation from Document. Um, so this is your number six? Yeah, that's number six, basically. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what to say about that song aside from it sounds like, um, to me, it sounds like a bridge between uh, 80s, Django Pop, Chimey Guitar, R.E.M., and uh, uh, early 90s R.E.M. My number five is my only uh, entry from 90s R.E.M., and that is Tongue from Monster. Wow. Yeah, I... Yeah, uh, listening to Monster for what's the frequency kind of that song just really blew my bone. Um, it's great. <laughs> my number five. Oh, sorry. I was gonna. I was gonna say. I thought maybe the only hope for a song from Automatic for the the people would come from Quillen, and uh, oh. apparently that's not the case. What song? I don't know. I would have guessed Sidewinder. Oh. Um. But yeah. Whatever. I couldn't even I hate tell that you. Song. I couldn't yeah. even tell you what that song is. At, oh, right okay. Now. <laughs> Sidewinder is almost solely responsible for my just total inability to listen to Automatic for the People all the way through. Wow. Okay. Wait, is the song it's actually cool called "The Sidewinder Sleeps, Sleeps Tonight"? Tonight. <laughs> yeah. And in the first Sorry. ten seconds of the song, uh, Michael Stipe does his. Oh. oh yeah, that's that's not cool, but you know. Whatever, I thought you get that, into it, it's got a cool... I'm, I'm pretty much done by that point. <laughs> but uh, if you're worried about the inclusion of Automatic for the People, uh, you don't need to be. Okay. Um, my number five is Ebo the Letter from New Adventures in Hi-Fi from 1996. Um... The first REM album I ever bought was New Adventures in Hi-Fi. Oh, uh, interesting. Very cool background vocals from Patti Smith. Um, another song that most people suspect is about a letter that Michael Stipe wrote to River Phoenix. Mm. Uh, lots of great lyrics about fame and fear and addiction. And it has a just a really compelling mood. It is a sort of meditative, repetitive song. But um, I feel like it's kind of magical from the the moment that it starts. It, a real favorite of mine. And apparently drugs, too. Like, there's a lot sure. of drug references in the song. 
Um, yeah, I really came to appreciate that over the time that we've spent kind of preparing for this. But yeah, um, wonderful song. Great choice. My number five is um, the first song from Document, Finest Work Song. Um, I really like, um, I really like the changes. I like, you know, that there's no bass in that sort of like main kind of opening, uh, riff. And then like the slap bass that comes in at the end. Um, yeah, Mike Mills, what he does and doesn't do kind of makes the song. I definitely felt like in coming up with this top five, I I had a new appreciation for Mike Mills. He's good. He's great. Yeah. Who, if you if you are not familiar, he is the bassist and the primary background vocalist of REM. Uh, number four, cool. Uh, my number four favorite REM song is uh, "Sitting Still" from Murmur. Um, that is pretty much. Uh, just like a definition jangle pop gem like just beautiful song um yeah i don't really want to talk about uh how my uh love for it was intensified uh when a certain band that i we we were all uh, <laughs> uh, covered it for a uh a one-off like i think maybe the most recent show we ever played in 2010 long time but, ago uh, uh and i did not bother ever looking at the lyrics i just decided to go with whatever uh jumbled stuff i remembered yeah, that's great and uh i i remember it being a little bit uncomfortable oh man the experience of covering uh, it i loved it it was fun yeah it was Did really you? fun it was yeah. really fun okay. to play um and yeah i don't know uh not, not much to say about it just a great rem song from the 80s. You're right. Well, we're not going to plug our old bands. You're going to have to do some internet research to figure out <laughs> who we are. Well, we're, we're not, necessarily, not necessarily an old band. Someday. Well. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, well, we might hear a little bit more about Sitting Still later, but um, my number four is from Automatic for the People from 1992. It is the song Night Swimming. Night Swimming Um, and I feel like I almost had to choose between Night Swimming and Electrolyte, but I, when those two are compared in terms of REM, beautiful piano ballads, I do think that Night Swimming wins out. Um, fact that I learned that I had not known previously, strings arranged by John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin. Oh, yeah. Um, the song is, it seems to be about skinny dipping in the summer, and there are lyrics that sort of ruminate on time and the idea that this is a fleeting moment when um, the speaker is feeling really free. And uh, I got to say, it hits my heart a little bit extra in this coronavirus quarantine time, realizing that we won't necessarily have summer as we know it, that um, 
Michael Sipes feeling of this, this sensation of night swimming and they cannot see me naked and the sort of like the reckless abandon of this particular time period and him sort of taking a moment to savor that is uh, really sweet and poignant to me right now. So, and, and it's just a, a lovely song. I don't think that anyone could really argue with that. So um, that's up high for me. Yeah, that's wonderful. Um, the ballads were tough for me to choose from. I, I, you know, I tend to prefer the upbeat REM stuff, but they do, they do ballads really well. Um, and I had a hard time choosing um, between songs like Night Swimming or Find the River. That was like something that I considered um, strange currencies, but ultimately my, the ballad I went to was tongue also like, uh, like, like Quillen had for number five. Um, there's just something about that song that seems different. You know, it's like a mm. kind of like an otherworldly kind of, um, there's a certain thing. bounciness to it. I think that, um, it, it doesn't sound sad to me. No. Yeah. Right. Right. I don't know that it's the best. I'm not saying it's better than anything, but like I just wherever I'm at right now, just seem to kind of connect to it a little bit better than than a song like Strange Currencies, which I do think is better than than Tongue. But I prefer to listen to Tongue right now. Yeah, I, I feel like I should say with all of these top five kind of things that we'll be talking about, because I think we're going to do this some of this on our next episode too. You know, it's really crucial to understand that. I think we'll always be talking about favorites, not bests. Yeah, yeah. When we talk about top yeah. fives, you know, top. Uh, if, if when you start talking about bests, it sort of sucks the oxygen out of the conversation, and and I think has a negative impact on the songs you're you're discussing. We got to be flexible and have to be uh, emotional about uh, these oh, things. Oh, absolutely. Who cares what we? think or try to think is the objectively best of anything that's boring and also like impossible like it's all about personal and emotional connection right i mean yeah yeah who do you think is the best podcaster of the three of us I think it's probably Travis. Oh, stop it. No, I was going to say Alec. Alec I was going to say Alec. Sorry, Travis. (laughs) No, hey. I'm just, I'm just being a shit. I'm definitely the least of these. (laughs) No, you're, you're, you play such an essential role. (laughs) You make sure that Travis and I don't go too deeply up our own assholes. (laughs) So, so Travis, was Tongue your number three? It was number four. Oh, I'm so sorry. Yeah, so Quill, number it's four. your turn to do a number yeah, three. Yeah, it's my turn to do Bud. number three. I'm so excited about this song. Uh, however, I, I I actually don't know how to actually pronounce it. Uh, it is the song Kohutek, Kohautek, uh, from Fables of the Reconstruction. Um, it is, yeah, just kind of like a middle of the album, like kind of droney. Um, I mean, it's, it's melodic and beautiful, but the guitars are like not typically, and, and the tempo is not upbeat. It's pretty, uh, plodding and, um, uh, the guitar tones kind of remind me of, uh, like a cross of like 
um a, a murkier version of the bats and um a catholic education by a teenage fan club uh hmm. like kind of like a um i don't know the phrasing for this but just like maybe uh a guitar with like high action on the strings and kind of like a just a really kind of chunky but like clean channel not distorted um tone and uh it's just a really beautiful sound um it's a really simple song uh nothing really to it but um i don't know for me it's just like the simple chord progression is really pretty and just like the way the guitars sound and um it's uh one of the few songs that i really love from uh fables uh, which came so out I, in what eighty five? Yeah, nineteen. I was really tempted to put some stuff from Fables because I like that whole album, and I gotta confess, I can't even looking at the lyrics of this song on on my phone. I can't actually imagine which one it is. Uh, yeah, I I, I think it's a pretty unassuming like nothing really stands out about it. Um, All right, I guess I'll just have to listen back. Yeah, it, it's like a to me, it's like that sneaky like album track that just uh to me just sticks out big time Uh uh-huh um my number three was uh what i feel like is one of the uh, i would never describe rem as pretentious but i do think that they can be in michael stipe's hands a little bit highbrow this is a really folksy unassuming rem song uh i chose don't go back to rock bill (laughs) don't go back to rock bill um from R.E.M.'s second album, Reckoning, in 1984. Uh, Supposedly primarily written by Mike Mills, although sung by Michael Stipe. And it's just a relationship song. It's just kind of like a don't break up with me and move away (laughs) song. It's super basic, but... um, just has this wonderful democratic feel and uh, just feels effortless. And um, I don't know, goes sort of in a category of like, I'm not a country music fan, but something like Don't Go Back to Rockville goes with like Dead Flowers by Rolling Stones in the category of just sort of like effortlessly uh, folksy, sympathetic, uh, drinking a six pack kind of tunes. And I'm a big fan of Don't Go Back to Rockville. Awesome. Um, my number three is um, one of my other, one of two uh, 80s songs these days from uh, Life's Rich Pageant. Um, I think that that album for some like early fans was like a jumping off point where they were like, this is, this is a sellout move, you know, to like, it like whatever it was like 87 or 88, something like that. Um, 86, 86. Thank you. I'm sorry. You're right. That yeah, that good. makes sense. <clears throat> Cause document would have been 87. Yeah. They released yeah. an album a year for five years in a row. Isn't that Crazy. Yeah, it's insane. Not... Yeah. Continue, Jeff. 
But uh, these days was just this really like upbeat sort of like rocker where like the chord changes are pretty interesting and wild and, um, you know, like this sort of like positivity coming through. And it, it is like kind of an arena rock song, but um, really like an effective one that I uh, I love. All right. Great. Awesome. Cool. And what's your number two? My number two, Travis, I guarantee my top two are on your list of predictions i think so yeah uh my number two is from 1983's debut lp murmur it is called catapult really trev no i missed it i missed it same album wrong song Oh, okay. Catapult's great. Yeah, Catapult is like the penultimate, like, penultimate, the ultimate, uh, just like upbeat, jangly, early 80s R.E.M. song. Uh, the guitar part is incredible. Uh, and a little bit of like a Brian Wilson uh, vibe, oh, I feel like. Interesting. I've never thought that. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's just, it's my favorite song on Murmur. Like, um... Yeah, it's my favorite song. I, I probably have more emotional attachment to and think that Sitting Still is probably the better song, but um, Catapult is like... Uh, Catapult and um, Laughing are like the two songs mm-hmm. that like stuck out to me the most when I was first getting into that album, uh, which you, the two of you, are, are the ones who recommended it to me. Um but yeah, just great, uh, great guitar work. Great, typically catchy, awesome '80s REM shit. Okay. My number two has already been mentioned by Quill, and it is "Sitting Still" uh, from Murmur, also uh, 1983, B-side of their first single, uh, "Radio for Europe." And there's a kind of a, a clear Birds influence, mm-hmm. very jangly, wonderfully melodic. Just a fantastic song. That's all I've got to say about it. Cool. Uh, my number two is from Out of Time, which is an album that I didn't like for a long time, but it's the last song on Out of Time. It's called Me and Honey. Um, which features Kate Pearson from the B-52s. And it is basically one chord hmm. for the entire song. There go it, it goes to a second chord um, during the chorus, but that's about it. And it's just hmm. a very repetitive sort of thing. And it's very upbeat and joyful and wonderful. Um, me and Honey. Two chords, like Lou Reed said. I think three chords is jazz. One chord, you're doing okay. <laughs> Two chords, you're pushing it. Three chords is jazz. So, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'm really curious to hear where this goes. Cool. Uh, Q, what you, what you want to say for number yeah, one? Yeah, my number one is Cuyahoga um, from Life's Rich Pageant, 1986. Um, I, after I got into murmur um and this would have been 2000 
2009. Um, I was looking for more and I bought the whatever other 80s REM album uh, I found uh, at whatever Ann Arbor area record store, um, which was, uh, it would have been Life Search Pageant because um, it was the next album I listened to. And uh, Cuyahoga, fourth song on the album, just f***ing killed me. Um, best bass line, like one of my all-time favorite bass performances in a song. Um, I love the... Uh, I I loved... I'm not a huge fan of the style these days, but at a time, I loved bass playing like you're playing a guitar, playing chords and uh intricate uh bass lines and Cuyahoga has that um in spades uh great melody I don't know I I'm so boring talking about music great melody <laughs> great bass line uh funny you don't hear me talk about the incredible drumming in REM uh no offense Bill Barry you're great you hold down the beat so well but I don't know. You just don't really do anything exciting except <laughs> for in bang and blame during the verse when you play the kick drum and the floor tub. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, I, I just think Kyoga is just the best R.E.M. song. It's just okay. so catchy and memorable and perfect. Um, my number one is heavily influenced by Travis. So I'm curious to hear if he thinks I'm crazy or if he's going to have the same answer. Um, my number one is from an album I don't particularly like. It's from Out of Time, 1991. It is the Mike Mills song, Near Wild Heaven. Wow. Um, yeah. It is the first song by R.E.M. that Mike Mills had both uh, played a part in writing the lyrics, and he sang it. Um, he had, of course, sang Superman, and he, of course, had written Rockville. Uh, so he'd done one or the other, but this is the first time he did both. This is another song where Kate, Kate Pearson of the B-52s sang uh, background vocals, and it's got some of the birds jingle jangle, and it's got a whole lot of Beach Boys background vocals, and it really has nothing to do with Michael Stipe and the creative direction that he has taken this band in. It is just sweet sugar um, but it's so sweet. And over the course of 10 or 15 years, it's grown so much on me. Um, I found, you know, sometimes when you're familiar with the band for a long time, it feels like you have this sense of obligation in choosing your top song. And when I, when I realized that this was my favorite REM song, I felt elated. I felt a little giddy. So, um, Really happy to say Near Wild Heaven is my number one. That's great. I remember um, kind of coming into that song at a time where I was just like absorbing so much new stuff and putting it on like, I think, you know, a mix that we had shared and um, and it being a very like uh, a like kind of a revelation that like, hey, a Mike Mills song is actually really good. Um, so that's awesome. Um, my number one song is, um, I, you know, I gotta say like REM is not a singles band, right? Like they're an album band. Yeah. Like, uh, like all of these songs like have equivalents to the songs within the own, within the album 
that they're on. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 tough to um, try to place them. So um, I picked the first song from my favorite album, uh, New Adventures in Hi-Fi, How the West Was Won and Where It Got Us. It is a very weird and like kind of arty song um, where there just doesn't seem to be a lot of like, it's just, it's very unconventional. And um, there's this weird kind of like uh, uh, organ thing happening in the background mm-hmm. that uh, is like kind of discordant and, uh, and, and strange and um I don't know. I, I I mean, but that was picking between that and four other songs from the album. I mean, it could have been um, Ebo the Letter or Departure, So Fast, So Numb for me. And I just sort of like, yeah, you know, well, I guess this is it. Um, so, yeah, <laughs> it's not really a ringing endorsement, but I mean, <laughs> that song, that song rules. So at the moment, you consider New Adventures in Hi-Fi to be your favorite album? Um. Yeah, it's sorry like about kind of my cat, ru- everybody. <laughs> he woke up and now he wants attention. Go ahead. It's it's kind of like a rotating thing between New Adventures and Monster and Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness. Uh-huh. The three of those albums are my favorite albums. You only like albums by people with shaved heads. Yes, from <laughs> from ninety four, ninety five, or uh-huh. ninety six. Throwing uh-huh. copper is uh, is I assume number three on that list. <laughs> Hey yeah. Al, uh, when Three Copper came out, Kowalczyk had hair. He did. Hey, at, the, uh, at that time, Al, though for real, what is your favorite REM album? My favorite REM album is probably Reckoning, and I, I think Trav gave me trouble last time I said that. He said it was the most boring one, or something like that. But um, I feel like uh, they really figure out the. Um, Slightly melancholy, jangly pop guitars um, peak on that album. Uh, I think that almost every song is just totally fantastic. Uh, really big fan of Harbor Coat. Really big fan of uh, Harbor Coat Letter Rules. Never Sent, Seven Chinese Brothers, all those. Uh, yep, Seven Chinese I, Brothers. I really like yeah. a lot. So sure. that's, that's still my favorite. Yeah, I would like to apologize for that. I was wrong about that. Like, it's great all the way through. I don't know what I was thinking. I think it, I think I thought it got boring in the middle somewhere. And oh, I, it, I, I think it's it just does. Not. I don't know. I, I think it's like it actually holds up pretty well through that. So I don't know. But yeah, I definitely had Harbor Coat. For, I thought you were going to put Harbor Coat and Green Grow the Rushes on your Yeah, um, Green Grow the Rushes list. was a finalist. That that yeah. and life and how to live it were the two that came the closest to appearing in my top five. Yeah, yeah, Trev. What were your predictions? So, um, for Alec, I had Green Grow the Rushes, Harbor Coat, Don't Go Back to Rockville, and Ebo the Letter. Oh, okay. Um, and then for Quillen, I had Cuyahoga, Laughing, hmm. Welcome to the Occupation, and for some reason, Sidewinder Sleeps Tonight. Apparently a song that you don't care for at all. I don't know why I thought that. I just don't know what that song is. <laughs> That's fair. Off the top of my head. <laughs> I, I'm sure I would recognize it, but uh, yeah. In my drunken state. Uh...
let's talk about other charts. Yeah. Uh, Quill, what are you what are you seeing on the modern rock chart? I'll tell you. Um, I see a little song uh, at uh, number one called "Bing and Blame" by REM. <laughs> um, and at number three, I see a little song called "About a Girl" by Nirvana. And at number four, a song called "Zombie" by the Cranberries. <laughs> but at number two, okay, I see a song. Uh, called buddy holly by weezer uh-huh i just feel compelled to talk about uh because i i know we don't get a weezer episode uh of the three major singles from the blue album what uh so that that would be buddy holly um say it ain't so a say it ain't so and undone the sweater song what it what is the best? What do you what do you think? What do you what do you choose between those three songs? I, you know everything about the blue album. This is a pattern in in with some big popular '90s albums. Everything about the blue album is colored by my overexposure to the material. So I have a lot of trouble coming up with a fresh perspective. So, Just choose a damn song. Um, I'm gonna go with the one that has the least overexposure, arguably, which is the sweater song. So I, I think that's my my number one. Respect. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's the easiest one to listen oh, to. Man. But if I, you, I were that. to hear the song for the first time, you can't sleep on the bridge to say it ain't so. Oh, saying it so is fantastic, but I can't hear it with fresh ears. Right. Fantastic. I mean, it sounds like it sounds like any cover band in the world right yeah. now. Yeah. I uh agreed about the bridge. It's awesome. Sating So is by far my least favorite album on the blue album. Uh least favorite song on the blue album. What? Um, yeah, definitely. That seems um, contrarian. Nope. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I played it a lot with my cousins uh in high school. Uh, just jamming Timothy in their class? basement. Uh, one of my cousins was in the Timothy class, yes. Okay. And uh, I just, uh, it burned me out. Burned me out on that song so hard. Uh, for some reason, I have a, uh, I have a sweet spot for Buddy Holly. I think that, um, I think Buddy Holly kind of rips all the way through. I have no complaints hmm. about Buddy Holly. I sure. also love Undone the Sweater Song. Um but I will say that the three singles are the three worst songs on the album. Wow. Um, for sure. That's a hot take. I don't, I, that blows my mind because that album is all good songs. I think, uh-huh. um, the other thing that stuck out to me was, um, the inclusion of a song. And I don't have anything to add to this. I would love it if you guys could, uh, could talk about it. Um, is the song Sour Times by Portishead from yeah, the Dummy album. That's the main note that I had made. And um I I my thing with Portishead is I'm super interested. Um I've not put in the time my I believe my brother was um aware of and, and a fan of Portishead at at this time or maybe like within the few years after I never really um, got into them until the, was it the 
their third album that they came out with in 2008 was it called called third Third? yeah and um uh what is the name of the song shit was it the rip yeah the rip is awesome too. the rip where yeah. so it, it it starts as like uh just like kind of like classical acoustic guitar right yeah um and then just like an arpeggio an arpeggio yeah um, pa- uh finger picking through an arpeggio uh and like half the song and then a drum beat slowly but surely comes in and then the arpeggiated guitar part turns into a synth part right and it's yeah. just beautiful yeah. and awesome um, so all of this to say, uh, I need to check out third, but I also want to check out 90s Portis. I've never, I had never thought to do that. I do either of you have any experience with, with 90s Portis? I, I don't, I've never formed a personal relationship with Portis but I will say in the context of all the music that we've been talking about on this podcast to then venture out and listen to Sour Times by Portis it sounds revolutionary mm. in this context mm. um, in terms of just the mixture of influences, the, um, the electronic elements. Um, it really sounds like a band that is thinking profoundly outside of the box mm-hmm. and it's, it's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's rate bang and blame by REM. I didn't have much good to say about this song. I love R.E.M. Uh, from the 80s. Um, <laughs> so in that spirit, I will give Bang and Blame a 2.25 out of five hair shirts. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm so delighted by that. That's great. I think bang and blame is great and i'm gonna give it four out of five hair shirts i'm gonna go sort of in the middle i'm gonna say 3.5 out of five hair shirts you guys are dummies (laughs) (laughs) nirvana wannabe no i don't buy it either i don't think that monster sounds like nirvana so uh i think rem continues to be an american original yeah Definitely. I'll, I, even I, I will agree with that as someone who does not care for this song. Like, bless up to Bill Berry Blessings. <laughs> yes. <laughs> this episode brought to you by Bill Berry Blessings. <laughs> uh, anyway, you can email us about upcoming songs at thoughtsonpod at gmail.com. Email us a question and we'll discuss it at our earliest convenience or send us comments, memories, corrections, and complaints. If you send comments as a voice memo, we'd love to include them at the end of the show. You can listen along with our playlist on Spotify, Apple Music, or watch along on YouTube. And with this episode, we've reached the end of 1994, so I don't have anything clever to say about this. Uh, Next week, we're going to do some kind of special episode looking back at 1994 and looking ahead to 1995. So uh, we will see you in the new year. <laughs> Bye. Bye, Ariam. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Thoughts on Pod.
Emily. Um, I just wanted to call and I've got a question for Quillen. Um, Quillen, what do you like? 